We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Stender, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. To share your thoughts about this podcast or others, please visit facebook.com slash jcastnetwork. Parshat Vayakel continues uh, a uh, discussion of the Mishkan, uh, which which was begun a few weeks ago with Parshat Truma with the initial instruction to build a mishkan, to build a sanctuary uh, in the wilderness, a portable tabernacle uh, for God's presence to dwell and for uh, to be the center of, uh, of the worship of the children of Israel. Uh, and so in uh, Parsha Truma and Titzaveh, we get the initial commandments about building the mishkan, uh, including all of the details of uh, its construction. Uh, and then in this parsha and in next week's parsha, Pekude, these two uh, portions are often uh, included together uh, um, on in years not like this year. This year is a leap year, so we get to spread them out a little bit more on non-leap years. Uh, Often these parshiot are together. And this parsha, next week's parsha, uh, recap in detail the dimensions and instructions of building the Mishkan because these are now that all of the original instructions are given and all of the materials are collected. Now the actual building of the tabernacle begins in this and next week's portion. So it's recapping and redetailing all of the proportions and dimensions and accoutrements of the of the tabernacle as it's being fashioned and constructed uh, and ultimately built. It is uh, many of you uh, might note uh, year after year in studying this, it can be a little bit numbing to uh, to read and encounter all of these details of the tabernacle, and it begs the question of why does the Torah, a what is supposed to be the source of you know great moral instruction uh, for the for the children of Israel, and indeed in some senses for all of humanity, uh, what is what is communicated by all of these sometimes numbing details that we get not once, but several times over. And as the old saying goes, it's because the devil is in the details, or in this case, the divine is in the details. So those of you who are in my uh, Thursday Midrash class uh, know that, uh, that the rabbis draw a significant parallel between the tabernacle and later the temple that is built, modeled on the tabernacle, the temple that stood in Jerusalem. The, those sanctuaries are, uh, are, are not independent creations. According to the rabbinic tradition, they are meant to at least reflect, if not um, actually uh, come to be expressions of the Garden of Eden. Eden on earth. And more than that, the rabbis say, not just is it is the temple an expression of the Garden of Eden, the temple, the, the, the tabernacle before it, is a reflection of the entire cosmos. So uh, 
uh, um, every detail of the tabernacle, according to Josephus uh, in his book of antiquities, was made in way of imitation and representation of the universe. And the sages wrote in the Midrash, the Mishkan corresponds to the whole world. This tabernacle that we're instructed to build in some ways is meant to reflect the entire cosmos, is meant to embody the entire universe, the entire world, and as anybody who has ever studied biology, chemistry, physics knows that, thank you science teacher, uh, that uh, that this world is incredibly complex and incredibly uh, fashioned with incredible detail. Whether that detail is the result of an intelligent designer or whether it is the result of uh, eons of, of formation and evolution, in any respect, the universe is uh, filled with intricate and minute details. Think about this. If we were to name what is, if you were to say on one foot, you know, teach all of the Torah on one foot, teach all of Judaism on one foot, what might we say is the essence of the Jewish tradition? I think many of us might say that the essence of the Jewish tradition is what we call now tikkun olam, is the repair of the world, is making of this world a more perfect place, a fitting place for the dwelling of the divine, a, a, a better version of uh, what is often a broken and fractured and fractious and violent and unjust and, uh, and, and uncompassionate world in which we live, we are called upon to, uh, to advance love, to advance compassion, to advance justice, to advance peace, to make of this broken world a more perfect one. And so I think that we are given all of these details. We're instructed to build the tabernacle because, as the old saying goes, Think global, act local. Or act local, train yourself for being able to do global. If you can, in all of its details, build this sanctuary that is in itself a representation of the entire cosmos, if you can pay attention to the minute details and treat them as sacred, treat them as holy, and fashion it all together, if you can pay attention to that, if you can accomplish that, then you can move on to repairing the entire cosmos. But if you can't do that, if you can't even put together some hooks and some drapes and some curtains and a couple of tables, then how can you ever expect to repair the entire world? That, I think, is why we are given all of these details and why we're commanded to pay careful attention to them and to build this sanctuary so it should be a dwelling place for the divine because if we train ourselves to do that, then we can indeed engage in the work of tikkun olam, of repair of the entire world. I think that that is what the original call to Abraham was meant to achieve. God tried initially to create perfect worlds. He tried to create a perfect world through, uh, through the first human being. That experiment did not succeed. He tried to create a perfect world through Noah and Noah's descendants after the flood. That experiment did not succeed. And so what God said is, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to create a microcosm of a perfected world in a perfected community. And if one community can embody the love, inclusion, and justice, and peace that I want 
to be in this world, then it can have a ripple effect and expand to the entire world. So God says to Abraham, you shall go forth to the land that I will show you. You shall be a blessing. And you'll be the progenitor of many nations, and then all of the families of the earth will bless themselves by you. What God is charging Abraham and Abraham's descendants is to be that model community, to be what we say of the Jewish people and of the state of Israel, to be an or la goyim, to be a light unto the nations, so that people will see what the Jewish community is capable of and be inspired to build and repair their communities in like fashion so that, indeed, the entire world can be blessed by the attention to love, inclusion, justice, and peace that is present in the Jewish community. But if the Jewish community can't do that even internally, then what hope does the rest of the world have? I was thinking of this teaching um, as I've been following the news uh, uh, over the past couple of weeks uh, coming out of Israel. Uh, and uh, many of you know that, uh, that Israel is in the midst of uh, a consequential election. Uh, and uh, uh, the current prime minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, uh, is, uh, is uh, trying to be elected to a uh, fifth term as, as prime minister. Uh, and uh, he has he is a very savvy political creature. Uh, he, you don't get to be Prime Minister of Israel four times without being a savvy political creature. Uh, and uh, kind of reads the tea leaves of, uh, of what's happening in Israeli politics and knows that in order to win, uh, he's got to cobble together a coalition. And, uh, and so in order to do that, um, he did something that is uh, virtually without precedent in Israeli history. He reached out to a party called Otzma Yehudit, uh, which uh, literally means Jewish power, uh, uh, and, uh, and invited them uh, to, uh, to take part in his election coalition, and then potentially, should they win a majority in the Knesset, uh, possibly to be uh, included in the governing coalition as well. Now that is, seems par for the course in Israeli politics. For those of you who follow Israeli politics, that's not the unprecedented thing. The unprecedented thing is the nature of the party itself that the prime that Netanyahu uh, reached out to include in his coalition. What's unique about this party? This party is the uh, modern outgrowth of what was once called the Kach party in Israel. The Kach party in Israel was the party of uh, the late Rabbi Meir Kahana, uh, who uh, those of you uh, in, in living memory know, uh, was a virulent uh, anti-Arab racist and even uh, professed uh, uh, genocide against uh, the uh, Arab uh, citizens, or at least expulsion of all of the uh, uh, Arabs who dwell within the land of Israel. And it's for good reason why the Israeli government for many decades had banned the Kach party from, from uh, running in elections and serving in the Knesset, and why the American government and the Israeli government and many European governments con considered the Kach party and now Otsma Yehudit as a terrorist organization. Add that with the news that came out this week that the Prime Minister is being indicted uh, for uh, different counts of uh, corruption uh, uh, in office. And uh, one gets a picture of a really embarrassing scandal. And so I'm not the only one to look at this and say, how can Israel, who uh, which, which rightly wants to be 
the embodiment of the Jewish mission to be an orla goyim, a light unto the nations, and in so many ways has been throughout its history, how can it hold that status and yet have a leader that invites terrorist organizations into a governing coalition, racist terrorist organizations into its governing coalition, and is accused of multiple crimes of corruption and malfeasance while in office. So that um, leading heart liberal lion, Brett Stevens, uh, in the New York Times this week wrote this. Um, that alone, he says, the inclusion of the Kach party, or of Otsma uh, Yehudit into the governing coalition is reason enough to want to see Netanyahu given the boot. Add to the list his demagogic attacks on Israeli Arabs, his closeness to far-right European leaders such as Hungary's Viktor Orban, and his public sympathy for an Israeli soldier who killed a wounded Palestinian terrorist in cold blood, and a consistent picture emerges. Netanyahu is a man for whom no moral consideration comes before political interest, and whose chief political interest is himself. He's a cynic wrapped in an ideology inside a scheme. Nor is the blight simply moral. Jews the world over face a swelling and increasingly deadly tide of anti-Semitism, while Zionism has become a dirty word in left-wing circles. To have an Israeli prime minister lend credence to the slur that Zionism is a form of racism by prospectively bringing undoubted racists into his coalition is simply unforgivable. It emboldens the progressive assault on Israel. It leaves its defenders embarrassed and perplexed. More seriously, it weakens a central element in the defense of Israel and the Jews, moral self-confidence. Anti-Israel slanders may abound, but they will do little to hurt the state if a majority of Israelis understand they have no serious foundation in truth. Netanyahu's behavior jeopardizes that confidence. This, I think, is the message embedded in our Torah portion. That if we come together and build a Mishkan, if we pay attention to those details and act in that local way, we have the credibility and the inspiring power to inspire the building and repair of the entire world. But if we are unable to focus on the intimate details of our own house, keep our own house in order, then we cannot fulfill that calling and that responsibility to repair the entire world. This is the central question at play for us as Jews and for the state of Israel, is how do we hold ourselves accountable to the highest moral standards if indeed we want to be the ones that anchor the repair of the world and inspire others to engage in that act of world repair themselves. Our Torah portion this week, I think, invites a model. Holding the tabernacle as a symbol for the entire world, it calls us to attention to pay attention to the details of the building of our own house so that we can remember that we have a responsibility to pay attention to the details of the repair of the entire world. <laughs>